0: This is the Education Gadfly Show.
1: 20 inches! Is that nuts?
0: Like, we weren't supposed to get 20
1: inches. We were, like, supposed to get 12.
0: Is that, like, a record for the Confederacy? I think it might be. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at excellence.net. And now, please join me welcoming my co-host, the Snowzilla of Education Reform, <laughs> Brandon Wright.
2: I'll take that, yeah. You, um,
0: you take no prisoners. You pack a punch. You uh, you surprise, especially in New York I'm City. i still
2: causing, still causing problems here. Oh, um,
0: wreaking havoc left and right. Sidewalks are
2: blocked and the roads are still one lane. Yeah, um, yeah hasn't snowed in like four one, days one lane
0: what are you talking about man out out in the uh, snow drifts of of the suburbs where i live you're lucky if your streets got plowed that right, happened to right. me yesterday which is why i get to be here uh but yeah it's tough we are basically waiting for things to melt uh and and that is how things will get back to normal oh, it's cold for a few days though we gotta wait we're gonna just have to wait patience patience brandon <laughs> patience and and that's a good segue because sometimes patience pays off such as with the movement for school choice it is national school choice week hey, hey. uh and we're going to talk about that today and some other important issues in education reform so let's get started clara let's play pardon the gatterfly
1: it's national school choice week and many have noted that when it comes to giving families a choice of schools it's no longer a matter of if but how? But Mike, you see schisms in the school choice
0: movement. Should we worry about them? Well, we we shouldn't worry about them, but we should acknowledge them uh, because they are there and they are real and I would argue and and do argue in this week's Gadfly that these divisions within the movement are are just as deep as we see divisions within each of the political parties. You know, We're in this primary season right now where of course these divisions are on full display I think particularly so in the Republican field. Uh, There's a great uh, political uh, scientist uh, or commentator, Henry Olson, friend, friend of mine who has been writing about the four faces of the GOP and he talks about these different categories. Well, I, I've tried to write now about these three tribes of the school choice movement. You've got the uh, school choice realists. I put myself in that camp, Brandon. As do I. Who, who tend to support all three pillars of the charter school movement. Uh, saying we believe in parental choice, we believe in accountability for results and we believe in school level autonomy. We also mm-hmm. are willing to apply those same principles to private school choice then you've got the school choice purists these are the folks who tend to be the more libertarians they believe in choice they believe in autonomy but they're not so down on accountability they feel like that is second guessing parents if the parents are happy enough with it so should we even if the school's not getting great results uh and then finally you've got the school choice nannies i call them these folks it's interesting this is an interesting group these they, they like choice uh and uh, they're okay with accountability, but they're not so committed to autonomy. You know, these are either the bureaucrats that uh, want to just micromanage charter schools and other forms of school choice, uh, or sometimes even some other folks out there in the, in the school reform world who claim to like school choice, but then uh, have are against certain practices like tough love on discipline. So they want to micromanage the schools around that. Uh, you know, it, look. It, you know, in the end, of course, as I said before, you know, we we tend to fall on the school choice realist uh, spectrum. Uh, but, you know, it's important to understand where other people are coming from. And, and if, Brandon, what do you think? I mean, what, are we better off with this big tent than a pup tent, right?
2: Uh, yeah, um, I definitely think the, the big tent is uh, the best thing for kids, which is obviously why we have school choice to begin with, right? Yeah. The entire point is to have better schools for our kids. And the best way for that to happen is for school choice advocates, in all these different small mm-hmm. tents to work well together. Um just as it's important for kids in public education in the country as a whole mm-hmm. um for for the choice sectors and the district sectors to find a way to work together well. Yeah. Um, right. Uh and we see that in a few places. We see that in, in, in Denver. We see it here. Mm-hmm. Um in the nation's capital, right? So it's possible, right? But we need to find a way to cooperate. Right, right. Right. Kumbaya more instead
0: of Lord of the Flies. Uh, it, it, but, you know, and, and the other thing is, look, I think we have to expect that this means school choice and charter schooling is going to look a little bit differently depending on the political coloration of a given place. You know, so, for example, in, in red states, uh, you're probably going to see this libertarian Tea Party element uh, stronger. The sort of school choice purists will be uh, more influential there. You know, in in some of the blue states, you might have the school choice nannies are going to be stronger or they're going to be responding certainly to the protests of folks on the left who, for example, uh, you know aren't comfortable with allowing its charter schools or other schools of choice to have their own approach to school discipline or admissions policies. Uh, and, and that's okay. I mean, we're going to keep fighting for what we prefer and what we think makes sense in terms of policy, uh, but it probably is going to intersect with the politics of a given place to see how that comes out. Okay. Okay. Sure. Clara, topic number two.
1: The news hour focused this week on high quality career and technical education, and Arizona lawmakers just restored funding for their state CTE programs. <laughs> Yet many reformers and reform critics alike
2: remain skeptical of
0: CTE. Do they have a point? Yeah. So, Brandon. Uh I did an interview feels like months and months and months ago that aired this week on the News Hour, um, among others, a, a nice long six-minute segment on career and technical education. I saw and, and there was kind of, a they, they pitched it as, in, an, in the end, a debate between myself and Carol Burris, reform critic, about whether we should have college for all. I mm-hmm. made the case that, no, we shouldn't, that these high-quality career and technical education programs uh, can be quite effective. And she was making, basically, the anti-tracking point, that she was worried that if we make these decisions too young, too early uh, that there's young people who would have blossomed late and could have done quite well at college and instead we're sending them into these more technical fields is that right to be worried about them
2: um i actually side i side with you um
0: not brandon just because you work for me doesn't mean you have to agree no, with me no, on no, everything I mean, you know I, what I mean? I, 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 let's like
2: him. like right so at some point it makes sense to 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 choose yep um to choose your own track um, and you can always change, right? Um, after you do a CTE program, if you want, you can go to a college, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at what's actually happening, as opposed to what we wish was mm-hmm. happening, you see that a lot of kids who graduate and go to college aren't prepared for college, and so they don't finish college yet. They Yet they had already paid for a few years of college. Um, That's how things are. Like Mm -hmm. in a perfect world, every kid would graduate from high school. They would go to college. They would graduate there and they would get a good job using their college education. That's not the world Mm-hmm. We are in, and I don't think it ever will be. Well, yeah, right? and so, I would say so,
0: not, I'm not even not sure that that's ideal, right? I mean, right. There's lots of different talents uh, that right. people have and interests, and this economy, thankfully, has lots of different opportunities, mm-hmm. uh, including some good uh, middle class jobs that require technical skills, but <laughs> not necessarily a four year college degree. Now, many of those jobs do require some post secondary education, mm-hmm. a two year degree or a one year credential, and mm-hmm. and it is true that the best career in technical. Ed- education. education programs tend to aim to have kids go from those high school programs directly into technical colleges, community colleges, to get those credentials. Uh, But the Carol Burris argument, as as I read it, is, well, we want to keep all kids in this general college track, basically have no tracks. Every high school is a college prep high school in a traditional sense, uh, so that we give uh, every kid every possibility to blossom and have a chance to go to traditional colleges and i just look as as you say it's not working uh and it it again buys into this assumption that uh that the four-year college route is the best route for everyone mm-hmm. uh and, and and look and, and in my opinion, wait until kids are 18 is just too long. Yep. You know, Some people say, well, I don't. we don't want to make these choices for kids. Let's have a goal that by 18, every child that wants to go to college is fully prepared to do that. Again, uh, fine, but what kind of college? If you want to be ready for a technical credential in post-secondary education, a technical track in post-secondary, you need to start working on that probably by age 14 or 15. Exactly. Uh, or you'll be means, behind. Or you'll be behind, yeah. uh, and that means giving options. Okay, maybe on this third one, Brad. And then we will disagree. Let's see. Clara, topic number three.
1: Success Academy's Eva Moskowitz gave a big speech on school discipline this week. Did she put the issue to bed?
0: no brandon uh no Uh, No, come on okay then yes yes i'll take the yes side yes she took the she put the issue to bed (laughs) no you're supposed to say no i want you to disagree with me brandon
2: is that clear um it's 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 such a complicated topic i don't know how in like a single speech which was in large part a response right to a times article um that you could just say oh you know, school discipline is solved. It's no longer a problem. We've figured out the best approach, or yeah. our approach is always fine, or public schools' approach is bad. Right? It's it's, it's mm-hmm. a complicated topic that affects so many kids, be it the kids who are actually being mm-hmm. punished or the kids who are in, in a classroom um, with a disruptive kid who yeah. is or isn't being punished. I
0: mean, look, this links back up to, to what we talked about a few minutes ago with these different schisms or camps within the school choice movement. And you've got some of us who are willing to say, look, let's be honest, let's be realistic not every single school of choice is going to be right for every single kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there are a group of underserved kids in our schools, it surely includes low-income kids who are high achieving or show high academic promise or who are striving or however you want to classify them. But kids mm-hmm. who are wanting to come to school, work hard, you know, play by the rules, that parents are supporting that. And in too many places, those kids, when they go to traditional public schools, they are in an environment that's chaotic, uh, where they are with kids who are way behind them academically, who are disruptive uh, and we do not make the strivers the priority instead we say well out of equity uh, we want to make sure we do everything we can to help their peers and no doubt many of their peers are incredibly disadvantaged and have gone through all kinds of hardship and, and horrible experiences which explain why their behavior is not where it should be or why their academic performance is not where it should be but if you are rich you're not going to school with those kinds of kids uh, so why is it that if you're poor uh, we don't you know we're gonna make you go to school with those kinds of of kids, whether you want to or not. Isn't there a space within our public education system where those kids can go and get a good education? And if that's a charter school or a private school uh, that that partly is a strong place for them because they have a real discipline policy, so be it. You know, But the left it just sees that and says, it's not fair. It's not equitable. You have to serve everybody uh, if you want to
2: be considered a public school. Which isn't actually fair to these kids, right? Like you, it, It's not fair to the high achieving, low income kids. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, the
0: public school systems in most cities have programs, uh, at least by high school, many of them have had exam schools for a long, long time that don't serve everybody, right? right. And and we have come to not peace kid's with that notion because not every kid is the same. This is, uh, you know, Brandon, I mean, to some of this just seems like such common sense, right? right. And to somebody was- outside of education, but man, when you get into these issues, and particularly when you start throwing the word equity around, uh, you know, it just seems like we end up tying ourselves in knots uh and and end up hurting uh many of the kids so that we all want to help maybe we can start to untangle uh those those knots and and uh, or, or cut through them with instead. some common sense maybe yeah. with some common maybe. sense maybe all right thank you well not a whole lot of disagreement we'll try better <laughs> next time that's all the time we've got for pardon the gadfly now it is time for everyone's favorite amber's research minute Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. How did your fair city of Richmond survive? We got Snowzilla. twenty
1: inches. Is that nuts? That like we weren't is supposed amazing. to get twenty inches. We were like supposed to get twelve.
0: I- is that like a record for the Confederacy? I think
1: it might be. Yeah. I mean, my husband who's lived there his whole life is like, what the heck is going on? So yeah. anyway, we were in some weird area again that got the most snow in Richmond. I'm like, how do I always end up in the areas mm-hmm. with the most snow, no matter where I live?
0: Because that was the case when you lived in the Washington in suburbs Hill. as well. Same thing in mm. Germantown. It follows me around, Mike. It's crazy. Well, you know, some ski resorts are going to ask you to move uh, to oh, where man. they're located Maybe. just to help them out. Maybe.
1: I'm not a skier, though. I'm just a little... But just to I'm bring the
0: weather. Just to bring the weather. <laughs> yeah. That's all I need. A tuber. <laughs> really lame, You're a tuber. Me and all the like five-year-olds, tuber. Yeah. <laughs> that is it. a little funny. That's funny. See, you can get a away with that as a woman. I think if, it, if yeah. you were a, a man and you did that, people would think you were a creep. <laughs> yeah, so well, my husband's
1: right beside me, so...
0: All right, yeah. 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 We'll Be, make him what you will. As long as he's with yeah, make sure he's always with you. All right, what you got for us this <laughs> we week? We got
1: a new study out by Tom D and colleagues that follows on the heels of a prior evaluation of DCPS's Impact Teacher Evaluation System. This came out yeah, a couple years ago. Now mm-hmm. he's following up again. mber NBER study. You love it. You know it, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, this time around, they examine the effects of turnover on turnover on student achievement, which is presumably prompted by Impact, although it's not a causal study, so they can't say that. Anyway, reminder that Impact is a multifaceted evaluation system that measures student growth, classroom practice mm-hmm. via observations, professionalism. I'm not quite sure what that is. You show up on time, I guess, mm-hmm. among other areas.
0: Well, and, and that you're considered collaborative, etc. Collaborative
1: person. Mm-hmm. Yep, and there's something about community involvement mm-hmm. too. So it's multifaceted. Uh, teachers receive scores that range from ineffective to highly effective. Mm-hmm. The former are quote separated from the district. <laughs> The latter are eligible for one-time bonuses of up to $25,000 and a permanent increase to base pay of up to 27000 a year. Mm-hmm. This is not chump change. We know this, but just reminding you. Uh, The evaluation has data spanning from 2009 through 2013. It covers 103 schools serving roughly 57,000 students in grades four through eight. Okay. It examines the achievement at the school, then the grade level for particular years. Analysts examine whether teacher effectiveness and achievement are higher or lower as a result of these various teachers exiting and entering the system, okay? Mm-hmm. That's a quasi-experimental st- study. Once again, it's it's NBR, so you got 15 pages of people doing robustness checks to make mm-hmm. sure that this is a solid design. They're trying to rule out like systematic sorting of students once in response to the turnover. So if mm-hmm. you're interested in 15 pages of that kind of stuff, it's in there.
0: With all those, those formulas, with those fancy Greek formulas symbols that I don't understand. Yes, mm-hmm.
1: all that good stuff yep. is in there, but it's a tight study. All right, bottom line is that teacher turnover in D.C. was found to have an overall positive effect effect on student achievement in math, Mm -hmm. an increase of about .08 standard deviation, and the effect of turnover in reading, old reading again, Mm -hmm. was positive, .05 standard deviation, but that really wasn't statistically significant. Mm. And even .08, that's not huge, It's not huge, but that's overall. So now we're going to get into the nitty gritty. Okay. So the overall effect masked important differences. You were Mm -hmm. reading my mind. Uh, For instance, when low performers leave, achievement grows by 21% of a standard deviation in math, Mm -hmm. which equates to about a third to two-thirds of a year of learning, Mm -hmm. depending on the grade level, and 14% of standard deviation in reading. So these numbers Mm -hmm. do go up. Interestingly... Well, that's a hard work? Interestingly. More than ninety percent of turnover of low performing teachers happens in the high poverty schools. Mm-hmm. But I love this, their exit consistently produces large improvements in teaching quality and student achievement in math. Mm-hmm. And once again, smaller improvements over time in reading. Mm-hmm. The analysts say, and I quote, in almost every year, DCPS has been able to replace low performing teachers with high performing teachers who have been able to improve student achievement. Mm. But what happens when high performers leave, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, we want to know that. Uh, It does not influence teacher quality or student achievement. It appears that DCPS is able to recruit replacements who are at least as effective as those who left. Mm -hmm. Um, So, bottom line, whereas we have these other studies that show negative effects of teacher turnover, this one doesn't, but... Lo and behold, it turns out when you have a policy that is specifically intended to change the composition of your teaching Mm -hmm. workforce, and you have a bunch of money to reward the high performers, lo and behold, the workforce improves and the students benefit.
0: So. Amber, first of all I think this is an incredible validation of what Michelle Reed did in DC and then kaya and the various funders that supported her uh, again let's remember most of the time when we look at these rigorous studies of anything we find out that Nothing. it doesn't work doesn't work right or the impacts are very anything, small null, right? I mean they set out to change the composition of the DC workforce uh, and they have changed it dramatically yeah. and it has resulted in big benefits for kids it has and,
1: that and they is deserve what they're saying they okay. deserve credit and, and this is like this is not a one-time study apparently they've got a contract to follow this stuff for a Mm -hmm. while this is Mm -hmm. the second or third study so yeah they're tracking it
0: now full stop Okay. Here's the problem, right, okay. is what do you do with these findings in terms of other cities, cities. right? The question is, <laughs> how much of a special snowflake is Washington, D.C.? This is a Pretty place special. where you have a ton of money, first of all, yes. thanks to the federal government. Second of all, you have a ton of talent, yes, right? We do. all know this. There are a bazillion 20-somethings mm-hmm. who want to come to Washington, D.C. and live and work. And, and DCPS has been able to recruit these people into their schools. It and is,
1: foundations. Love, and, and foundation support. And there's not even foundation just, support.
0: Yeah. And and so you say, uh, how many cities out there have the pool? Because this is always a question. When we are doing work in our home state of Ohio and you start pushing for some of these ideas, the question is always, hey, if you're able to let go of the low performers, mm-hmm. as uh, Eric and Hanushek has been arguing mm-hmm. for, who are you going to replace them with? Yes. Right. That's and great. look, I think in most places you probably could still replace the very lowest performers with, with somebody better. But let's be honest, you're not going have the same talent pool that you're going to have in a washington dc exactly. there's going to be a handful of big cities where this strategy might work mm-hmm. and so by all means let's do it in those cities but it is going to be hard to apply yeah. everywhere because
1: people want to live here too right I and mean, we've yes. actually studied their hiring system in dc and find that they nationally recruit yeah. like they have people in their personal office whose job it is to travel the country yep. and find good teachers yeah so yeah. they make it a priority, too.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, look, I, I just, you know, when so for some of our friends who look at all of this and say, see, this is validation for having a federal mandate on teacher evaluation or state mandates on teacher evaluation right. or, you know, you say,
1: well, uh, you got to have the ecosystem. No, it's, right. it's got the right. whole piece, whole right. right? Yeah, no, it's, it's 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 it is a unique what you call a unique uh, a special, a special a snow snow snowflake. snowflake. Isn't that's that
0: it's that, all, all the cool kids are using that phrase us these days, right? <laughs> yes,
1: I think that is what. <laughs> it is
0: but uh, all that said uh, hey hey still Michelle Rhee, Kai Henderson take Good a bow uh, you. and and the other folks uh, working on this Deb Gist and the foundations and other behind the scenes who said look a lot of people thought it couldn't be done uh, that there was no way to change the composition or that you know all, all along I remember we'd have these merit paid debates and people would say oh these teachers aren't motivated by money or you know they're not it, it, it assumes that they're not working as hard as they could right. be and it's people like Rick has always made the case that said look it's not so much about trying get people to work a little harder for the money. It's about bringing in a whole different kind of person in the first place who's more gold driven, who's more you know
1: it's also twenty five thousand dollars. And we know from those old merit pay studies, if you give them a bonus of one or two thousand, that doesn't swing the needle. When you start talking twenty, twenty five thousand now that'll do a little something for your recruitment. There are
0: thirty year old teachers in D C making six figures. Yes. Right? I mean that is a big deal.
1: I think it was one eighty five was some of the top salary you could get with the bonus. Well, yeah, 185000 185, are you sure? I'll find the c- citation what? of the study right. for I you. I didn't think
2: it was that high. I think but, that's higher than the highest federal government, like, pay... GS, yeah, it's some
0: kind of money, but and again, that's hard to replicate. Yeah, Uh, that's right. Because
1: apparently the funders are all still standing behind. I mean, I haven't really, obviously, don't have the skin. I don't know how much they're still giving.
0: That's a good question. And not again, like DC needs the money. You'd think. uh, I mean, by some estimates, they spend thirty k a year.
1: And by the way, they are turning up the screws on the impact system next year, like making it even harder to get that high performing. So. God yeah. bless him. Yeah.
0: God bless him. All right. Well, thank you, Amber. Fascinating stuff. That is all the time we've got for the Education Gadfly Show. Till next week. I'm Brandon Wright. And I'm Mike Petrilli the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off.
1: The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.